So Mark chapter 5. Let's read together from God's word. Verses 1 through 20. And they came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirits. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there was a great herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. Well, um, if you're visiting with us, again, you're very welcome. Uh, as you can tell, we're, we're sort of jumping in. Uh, Mark chapter 5, we've been going through as a community uh, from the beginning of Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark's account of the good news of Jesus and his message and what he did and his claims. And we've just been taking our time examining it bit by bit because there's so much in there and, and so much for us um, as, as a community on mission here in East Belfast to understand about the mission and the person of Jesus. And what we've been seeing so far um, is, is that from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus of Nazareth has been teaching and showing and declaring that the kingdom of God is coming. And it's coming through, through me, he said. Uh, the, the kingdom of God, if you're not familiar with that concept, is, 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 the, is the reign of God, right? It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the, the region where God reigns, where everybody is in his kingdom, uh, enjoying God, enjoying his power, uh, enjoying his liberating freedom. And so Jesus has been teaching and demonstrating what that looks like through his, through his sermons and through his miracles and so forth. And so we're going to look at a little more detail today about what that looks like. And we're going to ask ourselves, can we possess this liberating power that Jesus is demonstrating here in this text? And the answer is yes, you can. And so we're going to ask ourselves, how, how, do, we, how do we enter into that? How do we access that? And, and, and what difference does that make? So it's all about the liberating power of Jesus. And we see four things today. Uh, firstly, we see that the liberating power of Jesus overthrows. Secondly, it uh, disturbs. Thirdly, it frees. And fourthly, it empowers. Okay? So it overthrows, it disturbs, it frees, and it empowers. 
That's what the liberating power of Jesus does. A bit of background before we, we dive in. Um, the disciples have just had a very memorable trip to get to where they are at the moment. Um, they had been in the boat after Jesus had spent a lot of time preaching and teaching the people. Uh, they crossed over the Sea of Galilee um, on their way to this area that we'll look at in a minute. Um, but this massive storm came up. Uh, do you remember it was about to swamp the entire boat? The disciples were f- afraid of their lives. Um, they got Jesus up. Jesus spoke a word to the wind and the sea and the rain and said, Peace be still. And just like that, immediately, there was calm. So they've just had this incredible experience on the way. And, and maybe they were just hoping, as they arrived on the east coast of Galilee, that we could just, just relax after that. Just let ourselves calm down. Let's just take stock. Let's find ourselves a nice cafe on, on the shore. Uh, let's have a flat white. Let's just talk about what happened. Let's just process. Maybe that's what they were hoping for. Um, but little uh, did they know that the, uh, the same powers, I suppose, that tried to stop Jesus from getting there were the same powers that met him when he arrived in this area called uh, the Gerasenes. The liberating power overthrows. And so what we're going to look at just now in these next few moments together is, is, is this clash of two kingdoms. Um, we've got the kingdom of God coming in power and advancing in and through the person of Jesus. Um, but we've got this other kingdom as well that, that, that is pushing back that is not happy, that is not pleased. It's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, as the Bible describes it, the kingdom of of, um, spiritual darkness. And it is not glad when the kingdom of God comes. And so it pushes back. And and rather like a weather front, maybe out out there, you know, you see these colored lines on the the TV when when they're talking about the weather. Um, When when a a warm front and a cold front collide, what what do you get? You you get a storm, right? You You get violence, you get thunder. You get, you get power. And that, that's what happens when, when, when two fronts collide, and that's what we see here when two kingdoms are clashing. So uh, as we have it here, Jesus and his disciples have just reached the other side of the lake to the country called the Gerasenes. This is a general region. It's a, it's a Gentile region. These are, not, uh, these are not the people of Israel. These are not uh, the, the, the Jews. These are non-Jewish people. Different uh, backgrounds, uncharted territory for Jesus. And we're met immediately with these desperate scenes in verses 2 through 5. Desperate scenes of this afflicted, poor man. Um, We're presented with him in verse 2. It says there, out of the tombs came a man with what can only be described as an unclean spirit. There's something deeply unholy about this man, something deeply um, anti-God about this man, an unclean spirit. And as we'll see in a few moments, he was under this, this spiritual power. He was under the influence of what, what, we, what we soon learn as demons. He, he was a man who was oppressed, who was pushed down, who was crushed by a huge spiritual force, a huge spiritual weight upon him. An unclean spirit, it says. And there he is, loitering, hanging around the tombs. Just, just gives a picture of the kind of place where this guy is at. He is more at home with the dead than he is with the living. That's that's the kingdom of darkness, death. And so there he is anyway, um, walking around, it says, at time from time to time, uh, throughout the day and throughout the night, he's crying out, cutting himself with stones. I mean, it's self-affliction uh, here, you know, self-hatred going on, just an agony of soul, day and night, either in the mountains or among the tombs. This is what he's doing. There's no peace in him. There's just turbulence, restless spirit. 
And yet it says that he has this sort of supernatural, this extraordinary power as well. The locals apparently uh, have tried to chain him up, tried to bind him, maybe for his own safety, um, maybe for the safety of everybody else in the town, who knows. But they've tried at various times to to keep him down. And and it says there that, that, that no one can bind him, not even with chains, because of the spiritual power that this guy has. He's able to burst apart even chains that you or I would never manage. It says there very poignantly in verse 4, no one had the strength to subdue him. No one had the strength to say, peace, be still. And so there he is, this tortured soul, a danger to himself, a danger to others, and probably a laughing stock as well. That crazy guy, that mad guy, running around, isolated, alone, Freaky. Maybe good to go and have a laugh at from time to time. You just do some crazy things. There he is. And it says that even before Jesus had arrived, from a long way off, this man spied him, it says in verse 6, and he, he ran and he fell down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus calmly spoke to him and said, What is your name? And interestingly, he doesn't say, my name's Matthew or Mark or Luke or anything like that. He says, my name is Legion, the reply that Jesus gets. My name is Legion, for we are many. All right, let's just take a stock for a moment here about what's going on in this very bizarre story. Like a moth to the light, this man is attracted to Jesus, driven to him. Jesus speaks, but it seems to be a demon or demons, plural, that respond through this man. And they give themselves the name Legion, for we are many. By the way, Legion um, was the largest troop unit within the Roman armed forces. Up to 5,600 soldiers would have constituted a legion. That gives a pointer as to how many evil spirits were tormenting this man on that day. We are called Legion. Severely oppressed, we could say. Occupied by multiple demons, as the scripture teaches us. Using him as their plaything. Stripping away his dignity. Stripping away his humanity. He's barely human. As he ran around, cutting himself and crying out in agony of soul. But you see, Jesus speaks a simple word. Peace. Be still. Come out of the man, he says. These are the words he uses. No no long magical spells or incantations or, hang on a minute, I've brought my spell book. Let me just pop back to the boat. You know, turn to page 58. How How do you deal with severely oppressed demons? None of that. Jesus just spoke. Come out. The demons, it seems, begged Jesus not to send them out of that region. Apparently that region was thick with evil, thick with spiritual darkness. They didn't want to leave. They were having success in that area. Don't send us out. Send us instead to these pigs on the, on the hillside. And so Jesus permitted them to do this, and it says that up to 2,000 pigs rushed down the hill into the sea and drowned in the sea. That's a lot of pigs, a lot of livestock lost. But here we see Jesus, the power of Jesus overthrows. 
Now we have to admit, don't we, that, that to our ears, this story, this account sounds very odd, doesn't it? Um, I've been reading the Bible for many years, but even as I read this again afresh, it just strikes me as a very unusual, very odd scenario. And you might be sitting there thinking, look, th this kind of stuff just doesn't happen today. It doesn't belong in this world. It's sort of the realm of make-believe, maybe. Uh, you might think in terms of Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, maybe that's where these stories belong, but not in our ordinary experiences. Um, perhaps even, you know, uh, primitive, pre-technological societies, that's how they used to understand stuff, but we don't do that anymore. Not in our modern 21st century life. Perhaps that's what you're thinking as you're reading all this account of these demons and these pigs and all this sort of thing here. But I would put it to you this morning that how you respond to this episode that we have just read, this clash of kingdoms, how you respond to that talks more about uh, us than it does about the thing itself. Um, it reveals more about our cultural framework than it does about maybe the thing itself that we're reading. You see, everybody, every, every single person, uh, is highly influenced by their cultural assumptions, whether that's here in the West or in non-Western cultures around the world. Everybody uh, carries these unspoken, invisible values that the community holds to be true, that no one ever sort of overtly talks about, but it drives your thoughts and it drives your thinking and, and drives your practice, your ethics, your, your, your cultural framework. We all have it. We all operate within this cultural framework. And you do right now as you're listening to this story. You're very much doing it. We all do. And for us today, and if you're listening online, uh, the majority of us, of us here in the West are operating with a Western, um, Western cultural mindset. Uh, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. And hopefully that maybe helps you to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, as Western people, we are, we are highly conditioned... To, to, to think that what is, what exists, is only that which can be seen, only that which can be experienced, only that which can be measured, only that which can be rationally accepted. That's what is, that's what exists, that's what's true, that's what's real. Anything beyond that, anything outside the realms of investigation and analysis, is, is, belongs in the realm of faith. You know, um, it, it can't be proven. So, so uh, beginning perhaps in the 17th century with the, the movement known as the Enlightenment, um, we have progressively come to absorb the idea as Western people that God and heaven and spirits and demons, all of that stuff lies outside of ordinary investigation, ordinary experience. We can't know anything about that, truly. All we can do is be skeptical about that and, and just sort of, you know, agree to disagree on these issues. But by and large, as a society, we disregard those things which cannot be proven or directly experienced. And that's what we do. That's, that's, that's how it is for us. And often, as I say, we do this without thinking. It just informs the way, when we come to the scriptures like this, how we take it. Um, and so today for us, oftentimes, um, for modern people in the 21st century in the West, we, we don't have space for dealing with stories like this. Uh, demons and all that. And that includes people who are inside the church, by the way, not just those outside the church. We find it hard to accept this kind of teaching. This stuff actually does happen, and it, even worse, it may still happen today. But note, this is not how most of the world thinks and reasons. Just us. 
here in our little Western bubble. In fact, I would say the majority of others in the non-Western world, irrespective of their religion, they consider it a given that the spiritual world exists and it interacts somehow with our own. The majority of people outside of a Western context are open and aware of spirits and demons and it forms part of their everyday life and experience. And so we could say that our Western, identity, our Western um, assumptions are actually, in a global sense, a minority. At the very least, as we come to this sort of text, we should be cautious in thinking that this is just rubbish, this is just stupid, of course these things don't happen, not today. We should be cautious against thinking like that. Knowing that we're in a minority in the global sense should cause us to doubt our doubts, right, and question our questions. Because we might not have the full picture about the way the world is wired up. Okay, enough philosophy for now. Let's get practical. Here's the problem, right? Here is the problem if we disregard this kind of thing here, if we discount the role of demonic power, spiritual darkness, whatever you want to call it, as Westerners. This is the problem. Uh, if we discount these things in our thinking, that means that we cannot adequately understand the human condition. It means that we're missing a big piece or pieces of the, the puzzle. Um, and therefore, we can't offer effective help when it comes to serving those who are in need if we discount the demonic and the powers of spiritual darkness. And I see this particularly in my, in my working environment in the context of healthcare in the hospital. Um, healthcare in general, I would say, with some exceptions, but healthcare in general has largely grown up um, within this Western model that accepts the physical, we're starting to accept the mental, we're getting better at that, the psychological aspects of the human being and the human makeup. But this idea that there is a spiritual element and a spiritual role and a spiritual part to play in various conditions is just not talked about. It's just not accepted. That's religion, that's not science. That's what we say. And so from a healthcare perspective, uh, we can look at a person and their problem as they come to see us and come for help, and we say, yes, you've, you've got a physical issue, maybe you've got a, a mental health issue, um, but we can't deal with the spiritual thing. We, it doesn't exist in our, in our thinking, right? But as important as that help may be that we can offer, it's never going to be fully effective. It's never going to help truly. It's never going to get to the root of the problem. Likewise, in church, for example, if people come uh, looking for, for encouragement and for help, perhaps they're dealing with severe relationship problems of some form or other. Maybe they're dealing with addictions, struggles with mental health, for example, even struggles with health in general. If only as the church we deal with, with, with knowledge about Jesus and faith and, and, and repent of your sins and, and, and read uh, the truths about Jesus and confess your sins and all that stuff, if only we do that, which is good, but we discount the, the role or the question of demonic opposition, we fail as a church to offer care and help to those who may really need it. Let me just be clear here before we go on to our next section. I'm not saying that every problem a human being will face has a demonic element. I'm not saying that at all. Not at all. But I'm arguing here that we cannot rule out the role that spiritual darkness, evil, can have in our human experience. And so what I'm going to uh, hopefully 
um, encourage us to do as a church is to add our awareness, our, uh, this element to our understanding of the human condition, because then we can more effectively help. We can more effectively care and show the good news of Jesus to those around us. Then we can see breakthrough. Then we can see progress. Then we can see release, right? Because the liberating power of Jesus overthrows. Let's move on. The liberating power of Jesus, number two, disturbs. Uh, don't worry, the next few points are quicker than the first one, all right? I'm just laying down the groundwork. Uh, it disturbs. Look at verses 14 uh, through to 17. The herdsmen who, who were just minding their own business, sorting out the pigs, driving them around, you know, taking them to uh, whatever pigs do, um, eat stuff. Um, they were absolutely aghast, right? Just rushed off down the hill. And uh, they'd lost everything. And just incredible scenes here on that day. Destruction of up to 2,000 pigs. Um, and uh, it says in verse 14 that the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then all the, all the local townspeople flooded in. And they saw the man, it says in verse 15. He was sat there. This guy looks different. Uh, he, 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 he doesn't look like the guy that we, that we remember. We scarcely believe this is the same guy. Uh, and so you can imagine their reaction. Perhaps it was surprising. Uh, the reaction wasn't one of joy or praise or look at the power of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to believe in him. That wasn't their reaction. Their reaction was they were afraid, it says in verse 15. They'd seen and heard the tremendous power and working of Jesus and they were afraid. Remember the disciples in the, in the boat last week? What happened when they saw Jesus speak over uh, and exercise authority over the wind and the waves? They were afraid. It just goes to show folks that the, this, a miraculous display of power does not automatically lead to faith and belief in Jesus. Sometimes we can think to ourselves, whether you're a believer in Jesus or, or not, we can think to ourselves, if I just saw a miracle, then I would believe. Then that would help me over my faith problem. But, but we've seen here already, and we're seeing here today, that is not the case. T time and again in Mark's gospel, um, we see that people are presented with astounding miracles, and yet they will not believe. They're afraid. They're scared. In, in their world, in their mind, it's just too much to cope, cope with. You know, we just prefer Jesus to leave, get out of town. No, no more mention about this. Just prefer to forget that we even saw that thing. It's just all too uncomfortable. That's what happens with the liberating power of Jesus. Now, the reason behind that is not that Jesus is trying to freak people out or scare them off with these tremendous shows of power and strength. It's more that Jesus doesn't fit into our existing framework, um, our, our existing understanding of how we think life works. Jesus comes along and does the incredible, does something spectacular and amazing, and we have no space to understand it. And we, sometimes we don't want to understand it, and so it leads to fear. And so we push that away. We, we say, Jesus, depart from here, just like they did. Verse 17. I'm just highlighting this. I'm just highlighting this, this very thing here um, so that you, you can be aware. The, the, the liberating power of Jesus is wonderful, but it's also disturbing. And so if you, if you are here and you're investigating the faith and you're just not sure what you believe at the moment or what have you, you're looking in from outside, please don't fall into the trap that says, I just need to see a miracle. 
You, you might see one, and praise God if you do. You might feel and experience the power of God. Amazing. But just know that that is not a make-or-break thing. In fact, sometimes it has the opposite effect. If your framework is wrong, then it will push you away from Jesus rather than attract you to him. Rather, if you're investigating the truth of Jesus and the claims of the Christian faith, my advice to you is examine those claims on their own. Uh, as you read the scripture, as you go through the Gospel of Mark, look at the teachings on their own terms and allow the Gospel of Jesus, the good news, to shape your framework. Then you will have space to understand and receive uh, what we're talking about here, what we're seeing here. Then if you, if you see or hear a miracle or a sign of power, then you do have criteria within your framework. Okay, so the liberating power of Jesus it is disturbing. Thirdly, uh, the liberating power of Jesus, it frees. This is glorious, right? If you, it, you can forget, if you want, everything I've just said, but this is, the, this is the, the standout moment for me. It is glorious. It frees. Look at the effect that the liberating power of God has, sorry, the liberating power of Jesus has on this man in verse 15. The one who had the legion, legion, it says, he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Again, Jesus has calmed the storm. And yet the storm here was of this spiritual darkness upon this man. With a word from Jesus, this man was released from his oppression. Years and years he was under this spiritual darkness, robbing him of his humanity. And with a word, Jesus restores him. Instead of anguish and torment and oppression, now there is freedom. Now there is peace. Now there he is, composed, settled in his right mind. What a transformation. What a transformation in the, the freeing, liberating power of Jesus. This man, by the way, was powerless to help himself. We've seen that. He was stuck. He was oppressed. He was, like he was in prison. But the liberating power of Jesus freed him. It comes to him, it reaches down to him, and it lifts him up. And he is free. And here's the good news of the gospel, everybody. God can do that for you. He can do that for you today. This mercy that we see, this compassion that we see, that is for you today as well. Um, it works in the cases of demon possession or demon oppression that, that we may come across. It, it works in the cases of evil manipulation that we may come across. But, but the liberating, freeing power of Jesus works for all of life because Jesus saves and he frees. His salvation is freedom. His freedom is salvation. It is a picture of the, the, the gospel story. You know, on the cross... Uh, Jesus willingly and, and voluntarily laid down his life to set you free. That's what he did. You know, it, it was the worst day in history. It could be argued. It certainly isn't for me. It looked like evil had won. It looked like the devil had the victory when Jesus died and, and all that stuff seemed to come to an end. But the good news is that he rose on the third day. And therefore showing that he defeated death, the great enemy, and he paid for our sin, and he overthrew the devil. He beat it all. That's how he, he freed the captives, and he did it for you. 
So like the man in verse 6, if you want to experience and receive the liberating power of Jesus, then drop everything and run to him. Fall at his feet and trust that Jesus can lift you out of the pit. That's how you receive it. That's when you will experience it, the freeing, liberating power of Jesus. He will release you from the shackles and the chains that bind you, whatever they may be. Perhaps it is the lies that you have come to believe about yourself that have a dark or demonic source. Perhaps it is those fears that prevent you from from receiving the life that God has for you. Jesus will free you from those things. Perhaps it is the demonic powers that control you in some addiction or some circumstance that you cannot get out of at all. And you're starting to think that self-harm or suicide might be the only option. If you get a sense that you're not good enough, that you're too ugly, that you are unloved, Jesus in his liberating power has come to free you from those lies. Once you understand that Jesus gave himself to free you, he gave himself to free you, then you can experience the liberating power, the freedom of Jesus. Fourthly then, finally, the liberating power of Jesus empowers. It gives you power. All right? Um, in two ways. It empowers you. It empowers those who have been set free. All right? If you've been set free by Jesus, it, imp- it gives you power. Look, look at verse 18, right? That the man who had been formerly possessed by demons, who's not that anymore, he has a new identity, he has a new life, he begged Jesus that he might stay with him. And instead Jesus said, no, you are, I'm going to deploy you in this region here. Go, he said instead, go home to your friends. Go to, the, the Greek is your people. Those who are like you, go to those people and tell them how much the Lord has done and how he's had mercy on you. And it says that he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the region, the ten sort of uh, significant cities in the area, among those cities, how much Jesus had done. And it says there that the people marveled. He empowers those who he sets free. What a turnaround. Everyone could see it. Everyone knew this was the guy, the crazy who used to hang out around the tombs. And here he is, making sense sharing his story, sharing his experiences, and calling others to believe in Jesus. What a turnaround. Everyone could see it, from this tortured soul to this brave messenger to his own people. Jesus evidently thought that he could be more helpful if you stay at home and speak to your own, your own folks. In fact, if anything, we could say that this man who used to hang out around the tombs became the first missionary for Jesus. What an impact. The kingdom of God advancing through this formerly oppressed man. Talking all about what Jesus had done. You see, folks, once you experience yourself the liberating power of Jesus, then those who you know, those who are around you at work or at home in your family, they are the ones who will see it most. And yes, some of us are called by God to to go overseas, to go far away and and, and advance the kingdom elsewhere. Absolutely, amen, praise God. But for most of us, I would say, Jesus says, go to your people. Go, go, Go to your home, go to your friends. 
because among them, particularly at the start, they are the ones with whom you'll have the greatest impact. So my question to you is, who has Jesus empowered you to reach with the good news of his liberating power? He empowers those who have been set free. But secondly, he empowers the community on mission. Okay, we're not just talking about individuals, we're talking about us, the church. Do you notice the role of the disciples in this text? What are they doing? They don't get a mention, do they? But they're there. They'd just come across in the boat. They're probably still taking deep breaths and just praising God they're still alive. But there they are. It says, they came to the other side in verse 1 of chapter 5. They're there. They do nothing. But they're watching. They're observing, right? They're learning from Jesus how to do it. Learning by example. Don't forget, back in uh, chapter 3, Jesus called the 12 to him to be with him so that he might send them out to, to preach and cast out demons. This is their training. And in chapter 6, he actually does that, and they actually go out on a training mission. They're standing there learning. How, Jesus is saying, right, stand back. Watch, watch, because one day you're going to do this too. See, as, as, as the kingdom advances, there will be this clash of, 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 of two kingdoms, the clash with darkness, this power encounter, as John Wimber calls it. And as disciples in Jesus, as the community on mission, we, we must be equipped to handle demonic opposition when we see it. And so we too receive our commission through the disciples here, even though they're, they're doing nothing at this stage. They're learning, they're training. Don't forget Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel in the, the so-called Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You're going to need that authority to speak over evil and the demonic as well as to preach the gospel. It's one and the same. Go and make disciples. And so part of this involves, it will by nature involve dealing with demonic forces. It will. Us as a church. Maybe that causes you to uh, fear and tremble at the thought of you facing up to a multiply oppressed demonic person who just wanders into your place of work, for example. Uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, we just think, well, as ordinary believers, we'll leave that to the whoever they are, the exorcist experts or whatever. Um, but, but for us, that's not us. We're not cut out for that kind of thing. This is not us. This is for the, the apostles only, Right? But that is not the case. We, 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 don't, get, we don't get that space uh, in, in the scripture to cut ourselves off. So just a couple of, couple of pointers about how this would play out for us as a community on mission, and then we're done. How this plays out for us here at Foundation Church Belfast. First of all, let's be aware. Let's be aware that there is a spiritual realm out there that we are engaged in a battle. Okay? The Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against the, the person that winds you up and the, the, the idiot that you work with, although they probably think you're an idiot as well, but it's not against those, that's not our battle. He says our battle is against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers of over our present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. That's where our battle lies. Let's not be in any doubt here, folks. 
First of all, let's be aware as a community. That's what we're dealing with. Secondly, then, once we're aware, forewarned is forearmed. Amen. Uh, we can pray powerfully against demonic forces. In fact, that section I've just read to you from Ephesians 6, Paul then goes on to talk about uh, the, the armor, the spiritual armor. Put it on. You're going into battle. And we have this powerful weapon called prayer. Praying against demonic forces, um, specifically and practically for us, that might be that when we're praying for people, especially people who have a, a problem or an issue that they want rid of or they want, they want help in or they want the, the, you know, the work of God in, let's include the spiritual elements. And when I say spiritual, I mean this, praying against any possible role of spiritual darkness in that issue. I'm not saying that everybody that you meet will have a demonic oppression, but I am saying more common than we realize. And that might give a good reason as to why we get stalled so much and why our growth is hindered. Okay, be prayerful, praying. And how might that sound? Okay, if you're praying for someone, let's just say, and say you're praying for someone for healing or, or for deliverance of some issue or other, uh, we might be praying, Lord, you know, um, praying, praying for this person here, praying for their, their sore shoulder, whatever the issue is. Um, Lord, you know, deal with that. You're, you're, you're the healer. Um, but we also ask if there's any uh, dark forces at work here, or any, any evil influences, then we, we, we pray against that in the name of Jesus. We, we bind those things in the name of Jesus. That's all it needs to be at this stage. But just an awareness in our prayers, particularly when we're asking for miraculous things or for healing or deliverance. Let's, let's be aware of those things. And you can easily add that in your prayers when you're praying over and with people in our community and beyond. And thirdly and finally then, uh, how does that play out for us as a community on mission? Let's be active. Okay, when we're offering help, let's not be afraid of this. Um, Jesus has overcome. We've seen that. It's his word, his liberating power. That's what we are using when we are going and we are praying and we are asking for miracles here. It's not our power, it's his. And so when we offer help, let's be active in that. Um, let's go on the front foot. Rather than waiting for things to happen, let's be on the front foot. Um, for some of us, that might mean uh, going down sort of specialized ministry that, that, that you're particularly anointed and trained for to deal with, uh, the, uh, operating in the demonic, uh, against the demonic forces, I suppose. Um, we, can, we can obviously learn as a community from Jesus. That's what we're doing today. We'll do it as we go through Mark. There's more of this to come. Um, we, we can read up on, on the subjects. Um, a, couple of, a couple of resources recommend just on that point um, this book here called Power Healing by John Wimber um, I recommend it's, it, it obviously is on the subject of healing but he takes a very uh, clear and I just think so biblical so uh, such wisdom in there about dealing with uh, healing prayer and, and the demonic forces that may be um, part of that as well so Power Healing by John Wimber this is a book that's kind of hard to get hold of actually um, it's called Take Your Glory, Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a biography of a man called William Duma, who was a, a Zulu pastor in, in South Africa. And uh, it's a story about the tremendous and amazing humility of this man, and yet the uh, spiritual power that he seemed to possess, and also the, uh, the way that he uh, dealt with and interacted with um, the spiritual forces of darkness. Now, the, the reason why I'm holding this out to you is, first of all, it is not wacky, it is not freaky. You don't have to put your brain into neutral to enjoy it. Um, I find that difficult to do myself, and yet I found this very, very stimulating, very challenging, very biblical. So I'd really encourage you to try and find that. And plus, it's from a non-Western culture. 
uh, and it just blows the cobwebs out of your brain uh, when it comes to our, our worldview. So just open yourself, think about that. It's called Take Your Glory, Lord, The Life Story of William Duma. I'll leave these on the front uh, here, and you can take down the details if you want. The liberating power of Jesus. Mark chapter 5. When you see it, when you receive it, when you, when you feel it, it will empower you as we advance the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.